everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Last week, we got to review X-Men number 29 with the incredible uh, writer Tristan Palmgren. We got to see the X-Men fight the super adaptoid. Uh, Mimic kind of took a starring role, but he ended up losing his powers at the end of the issue which means he is no longer a member of the team. And frankly, we're not going to see him in an X-Men comic for uh, quite some time. Now, the next issue, obviously, is X-Men number 30, but we're going to break our format today and for the first time, go back in time to feature the X-Men in a guest appearance in another title. So we're thrilled to be doing a bonus episode today. Uh, And it's a ridiculous issue. Uh, (laughs) I hope you have a lot of fun with us as uh, as we review Tales of Suspense number 49 which we will uh, talk about briefly. Now, uh, we have some incredible uh, guests today. We've got uh, Corey, who's been on the podcast with us before, as well as Derek from 1407 Gray Malkin. And we are thrilled to have the very talented novelist, Robbie McNiven, with us today. Robbie, welcome. Uh, Let me have you each introduce yourselves. Uh, Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. Give us your gender pronouns. And then the question I have for everybody today is, an atomic ray turns you evil. What do you do? What does your evil self look like? Uh, Robbie, do you want to go first? Yeah, certainly. So uh, I'm Robbie, as I've uh, been introduced, um, he, him. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an author. I'm lucky enough to have been allowed to write an X-Men novel, uh, which, you know, is just still mind-blowing, even though it's been out for over a year now. Uh, and yeah, what would I do if I was turned abruptly evil by radiation. Uh, it's something that I obviously think about a lot because, you know, it's a common occurrence in life. Um, I think it could go it could go either one of two ways. Either I would uh, install myself, bearing in mind that I'm Scottish, as, uh, as the King of Scotland in Edinburgh Castle, or I think I would just start raiding supermarkets for, like, all of their chocolate and snacks and stuff and just build, like, a mountain of those somewhere and just pig out for the rest of eternity. Um, I don't know if radiation would sort of make me immune to heart disease or anything like that, but maybe. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but, you know, anything could happen, really. Uh, I think those are fantastic answers. You sound like the nicest evil person I know. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it could go either way. Uh, Corey, do you want to get the accent? But I'm getting fat bastard vibes. I got to- <laughs> Amazing. Being becoming just a glutton. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. I, I, to be honest, I think that's the most likely of the two. Uh, Corey, do you want to go next? Yeah, uh, I'm Corey. He, him. Um, I don't have anything going on uh, now. I've become, I think, the uh, the resident straight guy that. Uh, just kind of reads the issue that we talk about beforehand. Uh, so let's see the uh, the question. If I were to become evil, uh, one of the things we'll read was uh, how Angel talked about how he felt cleverer and smarter. Uh, so I kind of picked up on that route, and I think what I would do is I would be an evil plan consultant. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be in charge of anything. I'm just going to come in, and I'm going to say, "Hey, I've got this." this heist for you. Here's how you're going to do it. I'm going to take the cut. You're going to do everything. You're going to come to me in my lair. You're going to bring me my cut and you're going to thank me for the opportunity. So you're the power broker? Uh, along those lines, just a mastermind <laughs> of it all. That's fantastic. I, uh, Corey is a former roommate of mine. We've been friends for years. Uh, 
I, I have a feeling I know what several of your evil plots would look like. <laughs> uh, Derek, would you like to go next, please? Oh, yes. I'm uh, Derek, 1407 Grand Mountain, he, him. Um, I, if I, if I <clears throat> see that, see that power consultant is really cool and very dubious legally because you can say, hey, I didn't tell you. The lack of culpability is part right. of the draw. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, I just told them to do it. They're adults. They made their own. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, it things wouldn't really be different. It'd just be like, I'm just I'm just thinking mis- evil thoughts all the time. So mm, I don't know. Just I would try to be um an instigator, like a public instigator, like just say the the right thing to make people like just go up in arms. And just like, ah, oh, I will be a living troll. That's it. I will be a living troll. <laughs> like the guy that ventriloquist into the crowd, like, this is this is heinous. Right. We deserve better. <laughs> the people <Yeah>. huh? <laughs> <laughs> go uh, to a bank and say, you don't have cash for the next five customers. <laughs> <laughs> just instigate chaos everywhere. And then my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns as well. Uh, ironically, I think I'm the only gay person here today. Even though this is a queer podcast, I'm thrilled to have some incredible allies. You're the minority. Here. What a sellout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if I were to turn evil, so I gave some thought to this. There was a storyline by Rick Remender a couple of years ago called Axis, where mm. a spell by the Scarlet Witch got kind of twisted and all of the characters came out inverted. So the heroes were bad and the good, the evil guys were good. And he talked about how he used kind of like um, like an RPG game. You know how like your, your characters have certain stats like charm and friendship and determination. And he built one for each of the characters and then inverted them. So if you had a one in one category, you'd have a seven in the other, which is a brilliant way of thinking about it. So when I was thinking about this question for myself, I think I would probably try to achieve good things, but I think I would be using measures that would be considered unacceptable. Like I would coerce people to confess to crimes and I would, I would like- You become Xavier, Charles Xavier. <laughs> I was going to make or that point in a moment. I think I would do things that I thought were morally right, but use immoral ways of achieving them. So basically I'd be Professor X. <laughs> That's literally That's what so I was going to say. <laughs> That's so weird, <laughs> but true. Uh, so, so we'll understand the point of that question as we get into the uh, discussion on our issue today. But first, we're going to take time to get to know uh, Dr. <laughs> Robbie McNiven. Robbie, I am a new fan of yours, uh, but having recently read your Marvel book, I'm so, so impressed. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, I want to I want to spend just a couple minutes. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got into writing, kind of leading into how you ended up writing for Marvel. I know you have a pretty... Uh, impressive body of work under your name already but tell us a little of your story um yeah so basically i mean it's the cliche i grew up wanting to be a writer you know i loved uh, writing stories in school and my mom used to read stories to me every night before bed and so it wasn't sort of a a career choice as such as uh just a hobby in a way um so I got my break writing for the publishing wing of Games Workshop. So the guys that do Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, um, they have a publishing wing called Black Library, which just basically produces the novels that go with the tabletop game that they, they make. 
so I was a fan of that growing up as a kid and obviously a natural synthesis of this hobby and this hobby. Um, I kind of wanted to write stories for them. They have an open submission period uh, every year and have done for years and years and years. And from the age of 13 onwards, I would submit every year to try and get published by them. Uh, and eventually, after a decade, they finally clearly got tired of me and were like, yeah, OK, you can write for us. Um, so I got my foot in the door with them and wrote ooh, seven uh, sci-fi and fantasy novels set in that sort of that universe. Uh, and then started to branch out from there. So I got in touch with the publisher that produces um, First Team and the other X-Men novels in that series, uh, Aconite Books. And they were like, yeah, sure, we can, we'll take you on as a writer. So I've written well, four novels for them, but in different IPs, different settings, because they uh, have the rights to do loads of different stories. Um, most of them are for a fantasy setting called Descent. Uh, but needless to say, when I discovered that they have the rights to do Marvel literature and X-Men literature, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think any of the writers that work for them were going to say no to that. So uh, growing up as a kid, I loved the, the X-Men 90s TV series. Um, and I didn't really have access to the comics as a kid because I live in the rural highlands of Scotland. And the nearest comic book shop is, I think it was about a three or four hour drive. Which actually, come to think about it, because you're all in the US, right? That's not actually that long for you. But for British people, that's a daunting distance. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't say, don't yeah. say Scott, don't say British. You're like, <laughs> I, I, well, well, I'm half English, half Scottish. Oh, so, okay, all right. Um, that's the perfect definition for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, I wasn't as exposed to the comics as a kid, but then I started to get into them, especially when I started doing extra research for this novel. Um, I sort of got to, to revisit a childhood love of, of the X-Men, um, which had lain dormant for about 10 years. And uh, in terms of actually writing the book, it was just the case of uh, pitching ideas. Uh, I think I pitched 12 different ideas, um, a lot. Uh, normally you pitch three uh, and then they pick one if, if they like it. Uh, but clearly I was very desperate. So I pitched about 12 and uh, uh, some of them got quite far on, on the st stage of sort of submission and they were almost accepted and then there were little issues and it had to go back to the drawing board and work things out uh, and eventually uh, we settled on what became First Team. The, uh, the idea for any of our creative listeners out there who are artists or writers uh, in any form, hearing stories of determination like this, like how many rejections do people get before they get accepted? And even after that, even after you're the established writer, having to pitch 12 ideas before one is picked and honed and honed and honed. Uh, what a beautiful testament to pursuing the thing that you love. Uh, you, you mentioned you loved the X-Men cartoon growing up. Did you have a favorite character or hero and villain growing up? Uh, I mean, yes, but only in so much as I was clearly a very shallow kid because I, I loved Wolverine and I like Magneto. So, <laughs> I mean, how often do you hear that? Yeah, it, it yeah, I mean, the, the claws, you know, they're so badass. Um, there is some stuff relating to that, which um, I'd love to do in the future, but I can't really talk about it yet. So, um, so yeah, keep that under wraps. But, uh, but yeah, th those characters are like just iconic. I haven't uh, I haven't shared this with our listeners yet, but this is a good time. When I ask people this question, I'm noticing a trend. Uh, whenever I'm talking to somebody who's straight, 
Their favorite is almost always either Wolverine or Cyclops and almost always Magneto. And they're just like claws, you know, death ray is amazing. But when I ask queer people, you know, who's your favorite? They're like, you know, someone like Rogue because she had so much adversity to overcome. And like, there's like these really in-depth in answers about like how it spoke to them emotionally. It's a, <laughs> it's a really interesting juxtaposition when you, when you view where we, uh, where we approach our readership from. Uh, the X-Men are really fucking cool, but also they're a home for people who are really looking to, to kind of find themselves. Uh, you chose three feature characters in your book who are characters that are really seeking to find themselves. They are characters who are deep, who are mysterious, who are often underutilized, uh, and who come from places of very different types of trauma. Uh, how did you settle on uh, the three characters that you chose to feature in your book? So the key was was Vic and all. Um, in terms of why him initially don't really have a good backstory. It was just, I was going through a lot of potential characters trying to come up with not just plots that would be interesting, but also how they would interact with other characters. So what other characters can I bring in as secondary characters? Um, and when I first came to Vic, I thought, well, who could sort of bounce off this character and play off this character? What sort of juxtapositions could we get um, that would bring forward drama, push plot points, uh, develop the characters as the story progresses, which obviously is vital. Uh, so when I decided on Vic, I felt it's strange because we don't really see them acting in tandem a great deal in the comics, but I felt as though having uh, Cypher and Grey Malkin as his sort of sidekick buddies was just natural. Um, I I'm kind of surprised that we don't see more of them as the team. And I hope we do see more of them as a team. Um, because, yeah, they they all have issues in their background, but in different ways. And I felt as though we weren't going to see the same character repeated when we had the three of them together. They all come at things from different angles and they all sort of can provide the backup that the other one needs at the right time. I feel like I'm not describing this very well, but yeah. Oh, no, you're doing brilliant. So the, the feature character in your book is, is Anol. Some people pronounce that Anoli, I think, which sounds like an Italian yeah. dessert to me. Right, right. That's what, <laughs> yeah, it can be debated. I, uh, I've just always gone with Anol, but you say whatever you want. That's the love and joy of the character. Yeah, Anol, Anol is a uh, young character who was in the books for a while before he got a lot of attention. He's reptilian. He's lizard-like. Uh, he's gay. Uh, he grew up in a home where he experienced love from his parents, both for being gay and for being a lizard mutant who has a long prehensile tongue and you cut off his arm and it grows back bigger, right? Uh, what was it like to write this character who loves himself very much, but also still kind of doubts himself and, and kind of where he fits in based on his appearance and how he's different than everybody? It's a, it's a really fascinating uh, contradiction in character for him. It is, yeah, it is. And I really enjoyed that because taking the character and starting off from, you know, all of the things that we already know about him in the comics, he's already a really well-developed, rounded character, I feel. He's got a lot that's very believable about him. Like, I can imagine him existing, uh, which is helpful for me to start off with. Uh, I really enjoyed the idea that 
so many of the X-Men characters have very tragic or dark origin stories. That just kind of goes hand in hand with the setting, right? And yet here we have this queer character who actually has a loving family and a happy upbringing, which I kind of just loved because, you know, it's it's so unusual in, in this setting, I feel. Uh, and then being able to play that against the other characters who do not have that. So Grey Malkin is the obvious one, which is literally the polar opposite of, of what he experienced growing up. Um, I felt that was that was an important thing. In terms of writing him, I just hoped that I, I did it justice. You're kind of blind when you write because you get into it too much and you can't step back and observe it uh, from like a neutral viewpoint. So you just have to hope that the way you're writing it, it is true to the character and that when people read it, they'll feel as though uh, the character has been done, justice has been done. Um, so, yeah, when it came to actually trying to flesh out Anol and, and bring his life experiences to the page, um, I just tried to get into his head. He's, he's kind of cheeky. He's quite fun. He's a fun guy to write. Um, he gets up to a lot of stuff, but he also does have sort of a, I don't want to say a heart of gold because that's too cliche, but, but he's a nice guy at heart, you know, and, uh, and he does his best, which I think is important. Yeah. Uh, juxtaposed with, uh, with Anola, and I want to talk about the contradiction here in a moment. Uh, Mark Guggenheim had a series called Young X-Men a few years back in which he introduced two new mutant characters, which I think were meant to get a lot of airtime, but the book got canceled before he could do much with them. Uh, and your other two characters come from that book. So we have Graham Alkin, which is ironic because we have my podcast, Graham Alkin Lane, and Derek's, which is 1407 Graham Alkin. <laughs> this is the street the X-Men live on. There is a character named Graham Alkin, uh, whose name is Jonas Graham Alkin, who is from the 1800s. Uh, when his father found out he was gay, he beat him up and kind of left him for dead. And uh, Graham Alkin ended up basically under the earth where he discovered he was a mutant and kind of went into a coma-like state for a really long time until they found him in the present day. An interesting thing about him as well is he is an ancestor of Charles Xavier, which is something that's not really been played up on in the book. Uh, tell us uh, tell us about your love of the character, Graham Alkin, Robbie. Um, well, part of the love for him is kind of, well, it's very geek-based because in my other non-fiction, non-X-Men life, I, um, well, I just graduated in August with a uh, doctorate in history, uh, specifically studying the American Revolution, and Graham Malkin uh, was alive during that period. He was um, buried alive by his dad in the mid-1700s, uh, which is sort of my area of study. So although none of this is useful for the novel because we don't go back in time um, to that actual point, uh, yeah, it was like a natural attachment to that character because I'm like, oh, that's, that's the area that I have so much interest in. Uh, in terms of sort of who he is as a character, I find it interesting that his his abilities can kind of be played up as quite sinister. Because if you say to someone, "There's a superhero slash villain, and their power is they become stronger in the dark," that kind of immediately you make makes you think, "Oh, it, you know, that's a bad guy," but he's not. He's he's one of the goodest good guys. Um, so there's a few scenes in the novel that deliberately play off that where we see him from the perspective of other people uh, who don't really know who he is. And he's kind of terrifying because, you know, when the lights go out and suddenly he's super strong, super fast. Um, but he's not a bad guy. He's, he's the opposite of that because he's 
had this nightmare experience. Um, I don't want to say that I understand where he's coming from, but another element of the character with being buried alive. So I sometimes get like night terrors. So like when you have a nightmare, but it's severe. So you like you wake up and you sometimes so like very occasionally it's just not regular, but it's like once every four or five months, I have like a night terror that my ceiling in my room is caving in on me and that if I don't get out of the room, I'm going to be buried alive. So I just jump out of bed and like run out of the bedroom. Um, and then by the time I get out of the room, I've woken up. I'm like, okay, <laughs> chill. It was a nightmare. Um, but like, <laughs> I kind of, yeah, super weird. Super weird. <laughs> but uh, it's nearly always that specific thing as well. It's not like different things that can happen. It's almost always getting buried alive. I have no idea why. There's no, I don't have a tragic backstory, I promise. Um, <laughs> but I kind of like, I felt that as well. So there's little things like that. I kind of empathize a lot with the character. Uh, my editor accused me of actually wanting to write Grey Malkin more than an all, um, which is not true. But uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun with him. Um, so yeah, in terms of the specifics, I, I kind of picked him at the start because I felt he would play off well uh, with an all and uh, with their backstories kind of complementing each other, uh, but also sort of being juxtapositions. Uh, and it just kind of went from there. You resisted the temptation to make them a romantic couple you made them best friends instead. Uh, what made you decide on that storyline? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I hope I got it right. I've had quite a few comments uh, from people saying that they were actually really glad that we could have a, a queer relationship that's platonic rather than, you know, oh, well, here are the two gay characters. They must be in a relationship. You know, that's how that works in those stories. Like, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. Um, I don't know. I just felt it was natural that they were, were really good buds um, and weren't necessarily uh, out for each other. I think in terms of their style, it wouldn't really work because uh, Anol is very sort of like uh, flashy and he has crushes already um, in sort of the, the background in, in the setting, uh, which I think he mentions in the novel uh, occasionally. Um, and I just felt based also on the comic material. So the setting is not identical to the standard um, X-Men sort of the basic universe. Uh, it's a, sort of like a, a sub one that these novels can exist in, but it obviously tries to stick quite close to the core, the core material. Uh, and in that, you know, they are really good friends. They help each other out to get through the emotional side of things a lot. And I kind of just wanted to carry that on in the books, really. The, uh, the two characters and the way they play off each other uh, is really interesting. Uh, being gay is just one piece of their character. It's not their driving force. They are mutants. They have families and histories and trauma and motivations. And it's almost, I don't know, you almost have to look for the fact that they're gay in the book, but it's very clear because they talk about crushes. It's it's halfway through the book when there's a very touching moment where you talk about uh, Graham Malkin coming out to Anol, uh, you know, in the recent past and how they felt safe. Uh, a good friend of mine is the writer Terry Glass. He took these two characters in the recent Marvel Voices Pride episode and did a, a, a vignette about them called Best Judy. Uh, Judy's an old gay term for like your best friend, right? Uh, and he played off, I was chatting with Terry about it. He played off the fact that I wanted them to be friends and to play up on the fact that queer people can be just friends without having it be a romantic or sexual thing. Um, tell us about your third major character, Cypher. Yeah, so Cypher um, is sort of the, um, <laughs> this is unintended, uh, the straight guy in terms of comedy. Um, so the oh, it's not, like a reverse uh, uh, Three's Company. Well, 
Um, yeah, the uh, yeah, she's kind of the, the serious one. Uh, the biggest concern I had with Cipher is that uh, at first glance, I was worried that her abilities are too overpowered <laughs> for me to write a compelling story around because um, she can kind of go invisible, undetectable, phase through things like she can't be trapped. She can't be, you know, a load of different things, um, which is cool. But then I had to work out ways that she could be threatened because otherwise there's not as much drama in the story, right? So uh, that comes from the fact that she's friends with uh, Vic and Grim Alkin. And obviously, even though she could get out of various dangerous situations, she wouldn't want to leave them. Uh, so if they're in danger, she's in danger, essentially. Uh, as for why she was chosen, again, it was kind of just trying to build up this cast this cast of interesting characters. Her origin story is very mysterious uh, and I deliberately didn't try and solve it uh, in the book because, uh, well, A, I don't know if I would get clearance to do that. Uh, and B, yeah, it, I just felt as though sometimes these things are best alluded to and not, you kind of lose some of the, the mystique uh, if you, um, <laughs> again, unintended. If you, uh, if you try and, uh, if you try and sort of spell out exactly uh, what happened here that made this character this way, sometimes it, it loses a, the shine. And I felt like uh, the enigma of that was was quite good for Cypher. So uh, we, we still don't get just how she came to be the way she is. Um, but yeah, in terms of her personality, it was quite good to have someone who's the third way. So uh, Vic's the funny guy, or Noel's the funny guy. Grimalkin's the kind of like unintended funny guy. He doesn't mean to be funny, but he's kind of funny because he's from the 1700s. And um, and Cypher is the the more serious one, and that's another part of you know the interplay between the, the three of them. There's a there's tropes with uh, Grimalkin and uh, and Cypher in particular. Cypher is uh, and not to be overly stereotypical, but she's the black woman who will not be seen unless she wants to be. She will only trust you if she chooses to. Gray Malkin's the gay guy that will come alive in the shadows, but he's going to be very careful anywhere else. Uh, uh, whereas Anol is this character that's possessed with a, a full of a lot of uh, uh, self-possession, a lot of love. Um, the threat they're facing in your book is is quite impressive as well. They're fighting forces that are way beyond them. Uh, the purifiers and the sublime corporation uh, and the the threat feels very real. Uh, the stakes are very high. It's a, It's a very... Uh, high, heavy ride through the book. And uh, Enol in particular really shined for me uh, as a character that's I, I loved before, but is kind of beloved to me now uh, based on how you portrayed him. Uh, really, really beautiful work, uh, Robbie. Uh, Derek and Corey, would you guys like to ask Robbie some questions? Um, what should, what made you choose those three characters? I mean, like um, Cypher, Enol, and uh, Grey Malkin. I mean, like, I, I can see why, because they, they work together. They remind me of a bunch of old TV shows like Three's Company or this one show I watch called What We Do in the Shadows. Kind of like, <clears throat> right. Uh, so like, how did, like, did you have a set on three or did you just like, it just came out that way? It kind of, it kind of just came out that way. Um, like I said, I, I can't really remember why Vic was the one I picked and the oldest one I picked. Um, but when I did, I just felt as though Grimalkin and Cypher were, sort of the perfect buddy cops, if that makes sense, um, because they all bring something different to the party, but also because they all complement each other in different ways. Um, and I could explore their psyche in different ways. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a bit mind boggling when you think about it, because I could have 
kind of. I mean, there are some characters that are off limits in terms of what you can write, mainly the really big ones. Right. Um, you don't get to write like, you didn't get to write about Wolverine, um, at least not yet. But uh, so, yeah, it, it's kind of mind boggling. There's probably about 100, literally 100 characters that I could have picked to, to buddy up with Vic. And it just kind of fell to these other two, Decipher and Grimalkin. And I think that was best because I think it worked. I don't know. Again, I'm blind to it because I'm the author. So it's up to you guys. But, but hopefully it worked. No, you did a beautiful job, man. Thank you. That's great. Uh, I don't have a I don't have a specific question. I wanted to read it before the episode, but I didn't get a chance to. I still plan on it, but I do want to say I appreciated or I appreciated you talking about uh, that process a little bit. You talking about especially about uh, kind of how you're you're not able to see the process for what it is because you're so close to it. I've done uh, I've never written anything that I would ever try to get published, but I do uh, I've written like a. Uh, Dungeons Dragons adventures and just random nice. things like that before. And uh, one of the things uh, that happens with me a lot is I get, I'll get self-conscious about what I'm writing and I'll overthink it. So uh, I appreciated what you said about just kind of doing it and just doing it anyways and just hoping for the best <laughs> whenever it comes out, hoping that people appreciate it or hoping that uh, people connect with it. Oh, yeah. Could, uh, yeah. oh I'm sorry, Robbie, go ahead. No, no, I didn't really have much to add. It's just, yeah, it's absolutely true. You've just, you've just got to do it. I mean, likewise, in terms of, I think the, the cold email or the cold call is key. Um, I was speaking to someone recently who contacted me and said, oh, how should I go about getting published? I really want to get published. I work in journalism, this, this person, but I want to do fiction as well. And I said, well, if you're a journalist, you must be the master of the cold call um, already. So just literally just get in contact with publishers, uh, send emails, um, don't worry if if you get rejected, if they just ignore you, that's cool. Just go for it because uh, basically if you spam it enough, uh, something's going to stick and, <laughs> and that's how you do it. You just got to get in there. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to say that's probably <clears throat> advice a lot of this, a lot of people in your position would say, whether it's uh, whether it's comics or novels or film or screenwriting, whatever. <laughs> just spam the hell out of it. Eventually something's going to happen. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, like, one, one thing I really liked about, um, like, I haven't read, like, like Corey, I haven't read the book yet, but I want to. What I really like about novelizations, especially for X-Men, you get more out of the character. You get more into their psyche. I mean, I love the comics. They're great. But we get all the visuals. We get the visual ticks. We get, we get all that. But we get the book. We get inside their head a little bit more. We get to, like, were you able to, like, Okay, were you able to have more freedom with that? Like, okay, this person thinks likes this, this, and this, but as long as it's core, as long as the core of the character is the same, and I don't know, <laughs> am I making sense? Yeah, no, no, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, luckily, I have written a single comic, so I can compare the two. Um, it's for Commando Comics, which is based in the UK. They do uh, like World War II action adventure comics. Um, but so I have written. Uh, a comic script and it is amazing to me how i'm gonna say easier because that sounds like i'm doing damn comics but like you can't get in their heads so it's just a lot less to write um obviously you try and bring it out with dialogue and action and you get narrator bits as well uh which is great but yeah the the freedom to really get in there in terms of the prose writing side of things was really good and important in terms of telling the story 
um, not just for you know getting in the characters' heads, character development, stuff like that, but also fun stuff like describing Vic's thought processes. So there's a scene where he has to climb down the outside of a skyscraper in Manhattan. Um, and because he's a lizard boy, he just does it. Doesn't think about it. It's not an issue because he's a lizard. You know, lizards don't think about these things necessarily. I don't know. He probably um, sees Spider-Man on the side like, hey. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, that was a, a struggle for me in a way because I can't think of anything less natural for a human being. Assuming we could like go up and down walls, right? To be on a wall, but facing down the way and going down like face first, like down something. Like that just like we couldn't, our brains aren't wired to be able to do that. I can't imagine going straight down a skyscraper. Like up, up I could do, I guess. You're just going up, but down the way. So so these <laughs> a little like issues where I was like, I can't really imagine that. But he's not gonna have any trouble with that whatsoever because he's part lizard, literally. So he's he's perfect for that. Um so yeah, all these fun little things you get to do in, in novels, uh, which you don't necessarily think about if you if you're in comics. Uh, I always I can... thought that... oh sorry. Oh go ahead, Derek. Oh, and like I always thought like with the lizard thing you can watch a lot of planet earth on lizards and just like kind of get an idea of how they're doing it. It's like, Oh, their <laughs> eyes are on both sides of their head. That's why they can look dead. <laughs> That's yeah, that true. That is true. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. have eyes. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, some do. I, like, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His physical, like Vic's vis physiology, um, physical being would yeah. be completely different. It'd be more lizard like than human like, wouldn't it? So like he, most yeah. of the time he's part, most of the time he's lizard. That's he's like he's a living lizard. I, I love that. There's a there's a few parts in the book where he puts on some purifier armor, and the armor's so hot that he runs the risk of overheating because of his lizard skin, which is a great touch. I could pull a thousand threads from your book, Robbie, but one that really stood out was right at the beginning. You have these kids kind of taking a test in a classroom, and Anol's having a difficult time focusing because on the news they're seeing reports of the purifiers doing anti mutant protests and anti mutant attacks all across the country. And I think that speaks so much to people of color and to queer people and to trans people who are so accustomed, uh, or people from other countries who are so accustomed to seeing reports about violence and how we're supposed to just be fine. And I think so often people forget what a trauma that is to see those types of reports and lose our ability to focus. So I could pull a thousand threads, but that was that was uh, the first thought I had as I read that first chapter was like, holy shit, he gets it. Uh, which is uh, which is such a beautiful uh, way to have written. You put a lot of uh, of energy into this. Uh, is there uh, is there anything you'd like to comment on there? And then, do you have any books upcoming that you're able to tell us about? Um, yeah, I guess in terms of comment, I'm just I'm really thankful that it it struck the right chords and that it, it seems to have worked. Um, obviously, I can't speak from a place where I have experienced persecution, um, but if I can do justice to the feelings of you know people that have via these sorts of stories then that's just you know that's an amazing thing to be able to do so so I, i'm hopeful that uh, that it, it was done well um and glad if it was uh in terms of future work uh so actually i almost forgot about this but i do have a gray malkin and an old short story coming out uh and actually might just have come out it's in an anthology of uh, x-men short stories um and yeah they are teaming up again and i don't know i guess i can't really say much more than that but uh, it is only a short story so it, it's ten thousand words uh the 
book is called School of X. So it's, again, it's kind of following the thread of it's a bunch of different uh, stories about different um, students at the Institute. Uh, so there's that. And then I have a novel out in spring next year, uh, which is just another one of my fantasy descent uh, series with Akadites. Uh, it's kind of fun though, because it's about the settings bad guy. So I get to do the old, um, well, it's not villain to hero, but it's, you know, get into the head of the bad guy and try and show why they're the bad guy type thing, which is a lot of fun to do. I, uh, I love a villain story. I'll definitely look into your series there. Uh, for School of X, my understanding is it is currently available uh, in Europe, but will not be released in the States until May of 2022. So for our listeners, watch for that book. We interviewed Car Carrie Harris a few weeks ago. She has a story in this book as well. Uh, I'm really excited to read uh, and to look into this series. Well, with that, uh, Robbie, thank you for, for sharing uh, some of your passion and your story with us. Uh, like I said, I was a fan of Anul before, but now I really love him. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting to know you. I'm really excited to read more of your writing. Uh, we're going to delve into uh, Tales of Suspense number 49 today. Now, this book does have uh, more than one story in it. We're focusing specifically on the Iron Man story. And we're taking a step back in time. Although we've been in the 60s books, we're going back to the beginning again. This book, chronologically, from where I can place it, takes place right after X-Men number two. So the X-Men are still in their clunky uniforms. Uh, they have just fought Magneto and the Vanisher for the first time. We haven't even met Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch yet. This is also an issue of Iron Man. It's called Tales of Suspense, but Iron Man's the feature character. When <clears throat> Iron Man first appeared, he was in a really bizarre gold suit. And uh, a little ways into the, the, uh, the, the mythos, he switched to his classic kind of red and gold suit. Uh, so the title of this, this issue is The New Iron Man Meets the Angel. And the reason they're calling him The New Iron Man is because it's a relatively new suit of armor. Angel's only appeared twice so far. Iron Man has appeared less than 10 times. This is some of the earliest Marvel we could possibly do. Uh, this issue comes out in January 1964. Uh, the writer is Stan Lee. The penciler is Steve Ditko, who created uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and other iconic characters. But we don't see him in the X-Men. The issue or the inker is Paul Reinman and the letterer is Sam Rosen. Uh, let me hear some of your reactions to the cover. First thing, it's a bizarre 1960s cover. Uh, what did you guys think of, uh, of this cover with Iron Man fighting the angel on the uh, cover of Tales of Suspense number 49? <laughs> it's, so the fact that it's early Iron Man makes a little bit more sense to me. Um, I, the only Iron Man I know is MCU Iron Man. Uh, so the first thing that stood out to me was, uh, holy shit, what kind of little bitch is this Iron Man? He's getting beat by a dude whose only power is, hey, I've got wings. Well, I don't know. Might be a little bitch, though. <laughs> <laughs> I also, um, no, I mean, it's not super insightful, but his, his helmet, I get a kick out of his eye holes. It's just like stamped rectangles, and you can see his eyes. <laughs> he didn't even, like, grease paint them or anything. <laughs> oh God, that's so cool. <laughs> Iron Man looks really uh, almost like uh, marionette-like. He's got like a bizarre kind of puppet. Like he's twisted kind of funny with his hands out. His eyes are all big. He's he's a little scary. It looks a little like the cover to a horror book. Uh, <laughs> Robbie, what did you think about this cover? Yeah, I was I was just thinking the same thing in so much. He doesn't really look like he's he's falling. Like he's just looks like he's like he's tripped over. Like he's tripped and he's about to like, hit the ground. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just that, that classic 60s vibe, isn't it? I love the like the the thought bubble 
where he's like, oh no, this is exactly what's happening to me. The <laughs> he's thinking my power jets are exhausted. I'm falling. Looks like the angel has defeated Iron Man. Oh uh, no, what could this comic possibly be about? Um, yeah, oh, I love it. It's, yeah, it's just that, like classic, that era, isn't it? I mean, in essence, this book is about two rich white billionaires fighting in the sky. That's <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, 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 let's be clear. One is a minor and the other one is an adult beating on a minor. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, it's kind of nice that Angel, he put hands on a, on a Iron Man and nobody ever brings this up. <laughs> Seriously, quite literally, you can see he's in his finished, like, he just gave him a good cross. Like, he's in his finishing karate pose there. <laughs> he, Tony Stark looks hungover. Like, I think I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a little drunk for this, but I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> now, Iron Man back then in his original appearances is a weapons designer, uh, which is something he kind of comes to term with later in the books. But he has a really prominent company. His secretary and or love interest is someone we know from the movies. Her name is Pepper Potts, who is I one of my- happy. Well, <laughs> well, we'll get to happy in a second. Uh, <laughs> Pepper Potts, who is one of my favorite Marvel characters of all time, frankly. I love her a lot. Uh, she's, she's sassy and uh, fantastic. And then he has a chauffeur who's like a boxer named Happy Hogan. You guys will know him from the movies as well. Most recently, he's in the, the Spider-Man uh, film that just came out. Uh, you'll see Happy Hogan there. Uh, so they're kind of his two closest confidants. Iron Man uh, is Tony Stark's bodyguard, even though Tony Stark is Iron Man. But his cover story back then is that, uh, that his own armored identity is his bodyguard. So as we open the issue, we see Angel and Iron Man on page one already knocked into or locked into a fight. Uh, they, they look a little bit ridiculous. Angel is flying and saying how he is. Uh, he's the sky is his element. Uh, Iron Man looks like his boot jets are burning out. Uh, he's he's doing his best to kind of start a fight. But we spend the next several pages seeing how they got here. Uh, <laughs> Derek, are you willing to kind of start on page two for us? Tell us uh, what happens to the angel uh, to turn him evil, which is the most ridiculous <laughs> 60s storyline. It it's so ridiculous. So uh, Angel is flying past a nuclear power plant trying to get a shortcut back to this uh, Xavier school. <laughs> and Tony Stark is there. And he's like, run, run, like, leave. And Angel doesn't like, what? I can't hear you. What are you talking about? And then like this huge explosion just, just blew up uh, and just affected uh, like all this new, like this would have been Chernobyl. <laughs> this <was that. laughs> but Iron Man's okay. Angel, he, he's not okay. But they both would have. Well, yeah, they both would have died. It, it's it's safe to say they would have died, right? This is the sixties. Iron Man, <laughs> I mean, he just Indiana Jones survived. So like, I don't know, guys. I don't see any refrigerators over there, though. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey! He also he also jumped out of a plane off of a rubber. Wrapped, okay. He's indestructible. <laughs> Iron Man is testing a nuclear bomb or an atomic bomb in his front yard in New York, mind <laughs> you. And when he sees Angel randomly flying over, he's like, "No, fly away! There's a bomb about to go off." And it's literally described as, "quote a highly refined nuclear explosion." But instead of incinerating Angel, uh, Corey, what does it do? 
Oh, <laughs> well, it, uh, and it, Sorry, I, wanna, I had something to say, but then I wanted to find it because I have it right here. Um, oh, well, okay, yeah, here it is. Thankfully, uh, his wings, are, which are apparently stronger than an atomic blast, saved him from being blown out of the sky, which I don't know where else you can go if you're exploding. Like, maybe he <laughs> evaporate, right? You know, like, uh, no, no, it's, uh, there's no, there's no physical damage. It was, uh, it was, <clears throat> it was one of those stat block atomic, uh, atomic explosions. <laughs> he's, uh, he's craftier. He's smarter. His intelligence and his charisma has gone up by at least five points. Uh, <laughs> but he's also changed alignment. He's, he's, he's evil. Far he's more in, evil. Than he's he inverted. Here's his thoughts as, uh, as this change comes over his personality. He says, I feel different as though I'm a new person. A smarter, craftier, slyer person. And yes, I admit it. A far more evil person. Uh, now, theory-wise, is this the first appearance of Archangel? Uh, Give me some thought for a second. Because later in continuity, Apocalypse it performs experiments on Angel that releases his dark side, gives him these gi giant metal wings, and he has this dark passenger that he's carried with him ever since. Is this the first appearance of Archangel here? An atomic explosion that unlocked his dark side. It's, I want to say it's, no. It's a seed. It's all Tony Stark's fault. Well, okay, I, I, I'm with that. I'm with. That. I'm all for blaming the Avengers. Okay, <laughs> I think House of M was their fault. I think Onslaught was their fault. I think everything was their fault. No, but uh, no, I don't think so. I just think like my my theory is a bit more sinister. It was Xavier. Hear me out. Hear me out. Uh. Like that blast happened, and like it, if you notice in the in the um, lettering, it says an instant before everything passes. That's when the evils. That's when he uh, starts changing his alignment. I wouldn't be surprised if Xavier just like you know what I want to see what happens, and just turn off all of his inhibitions. It's like I want to turn you into Elon Musk. Let's see what. Let's <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Robbie, what do you think? Is this the first appearance of Archangel? I I, yeah, I can kind of I can kind of get behind that. I quite like that idea. I it hadn't occurred to me until you said it. But now I'm like, ah, you should totally riff off this and make it a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I can't give you a, a definitive answer, but uh, but it's an interesting one. It's something that deserves thought. So Angel doesn't even say anything to Iron Man. He just starts flying away, and Iron Man rushes after him in the sky, trying to grab his feet, and he thinks to himself. It's just as I feared. The explosion changed his personality, made him cruel, merciless. As if he knew the atomic bomb, if it went off, would cause someone to turn evil. See, now that makes me think he was, he's like, he's still, he's still in this weapons profiteering stage or whatever you want to call it. So what if he's creating some sort of evil atomic ray or some shit? He's yeah. testing it out. Evil bomb. He knew if he knew what was going on, then he, that could be the explanation of why there wasn't a gigantic mushroom cloud leaving nothing but a big New hole where New York was. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't that type of bomb. It's, it's good to know that uh, his armor is proof against evil. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's because the evils already the eye hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> <that's>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man uh, 
comes across as really bumbling in this issue. Oh, um, uh, it's, it's, it's worthy of noting uh, there's a Captain America group villain called the Secret Empire that later sets off uh, what they call a mad bomb, which drives people in the city crazy. So maybe this is the first appearance of the mad bomb, too. That makes sense. Uh, when Angel gets away, Iron Man kind of plummets toward the earth and he uh, his boot jets have given out and he only saves himself by using uh, magnetic repelling energy. But he still crashes through the ceiling into his old nuclear plant. Uh, he immediately calls Pepper Potts and tells her not to bother him for the next few hours. Uh, and then uh, we we cut to Angel, who's back at the uh, back at the X Mansion. Uh, uh, starting on uh, starting on page five, uh, Robbie, are you willing to tell us a little bit about uh, Angel's revelation to the X Men that he is now evil? <laughs> hey, I was going to say he basically literally just straight up says, "I'm evil now, guys." I'm going to chill out with, it's the brotherhood of evil, isn't it? Because they're evil too, and they're clearly way cooler than you guys. And then just leave. <laughs> it's like, if you well, this is just another day in the life. It was a really life. easy few panels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, kudos for the writing, just going at it and being like, well, he's evil now. So you just got to accept it. Um, so yeah, he then goes off and tries to find his new evil buddies. Oh, but first he attacks his own teammates. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he well, kind of makes... He's, he's throwing a tantrum. <laughs> he kind of... Like they don't want to let him go. Like, he said, I want to leave. As far as they know, like, he's he he's doing as a, doing as his own volition. So this one part where Beast calls Angel an overgrown parakeet, I'm like, wow. <laughs> playing like a minute ago, you're calling him a giant bird? Like, <laughs> So uh, Angel's kind of impressive. He avoids Cyclops' optic blast. He throws Beast into Cyclops to knock him down. Uh, there's a ridiculous science problem where Iceman forms uh, an ice igloo over Angel, who then melts it by flapping his wings. Uh, now, in the future, Angel will get fire wings briefly, but that is not the case here. So that makes no sense. Uh, any theories about how the ice melted when Angel flapped his wings? It was a <laughs> uh Iceman was still he needed he was using ice at the time oh no snow so like he needed to concentrate in order to make it hard so mm. but oh, Angel, yeah. he was uh he was using his wings so fast that it just blew everything away so yeah. it, was, it was more of like a blowing snow away than a melting of ice yeah yeah but yeah Stan yeah. Lee needs to learn new words <laughs> <laughs> I was um I was imagining it as uh is it bees that beat their wings so fast that they give off like heat because they're going so rapidly okay which is actually what pretty clearly isn't what happens in the thing but i'm like logically that could have been a thing if they wanted to use that as an explanation so yeah we'll have to test it uh, Angel Angel comes across as pretty impressive here, actually. As far as Angel gets, you know, he's evil. Like, Angel's so much better than regular Angel. Whoa, 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 okay, 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 okay. There's this evil pretty angel. early Angel. No, er, no, regular Angel. He's cool. He's just not written that well. I mean, this is a guy who took out Wolverine by himself. He 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 can go up against the Abomination by himself underneath the sewers. So, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People think his wings are. Or uh, liability? No, he made them into assets. He could slap somebody across the face with his wings and say, "Where's my money?" 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope that's happened. I, that's never happened. Someone needs to, someone we know that's an author should write it. I want to see someone get backhanded by an angel wing. <laughs> I've shared this I would love to see him do it to Beast. I've shared this on the podcast before, but my son, my younger son in particular, will often, uh, oh, I have a story to tell you guys. He'll often ask me, who would win in a fight, this person or this person? And my answer is always, it depends on the storyteller, because mm -hmm. you can write a story anyway. And to the point where he's like, all right, it depends on the storyteller. I get it. <laughs> but I'm going to pause to tell you guys a story really quickly. I told my 10-year-old the other day that I mentioned him in the podcast. And he says, dad, did you use my name in the podcast? And I said, no. I just referred to you as my 10-year-old. Would you like me to use your name? And he goes, hmm, I guess you could, because not that many people listen anyway. <laughs> that was a wing slap. He does it. He's not in fear of getting doxxed. <laughs> I'm not saying you should... I'm not saying uh, I'm not an advocate of child abuse, but I like big kids. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But then he followed it up with that. No offense. <laughs> oh, like, no uh, offense. I'm taking purple. <laughs> now I got to manage this man's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So like, we thank we've... you very much. <laughs> We flip back to Tony Stark, who looks like he's using a sewing machine on his armor to repair it. There's this bizarre scene where his armor sleeves are like rolled down. Now, Tony Stark in the 60s, and this is one of my favorite fucking things in all of Marvel. He has shrapnel in his heart, so he has to, in his original appearances, he has to keep his breastplate on at all times. And you can find images of him, lots of them, so, uh, through the Iron Man and Avengers books, where he's literally sitting down with a plug out of his breastplate plugged into the wall to recharge his heart. <laughs> Like he's an iPhone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's he's <laughs> so he can never take off his breastplate. Uh, did you know that about uh, about Iron Man, Robin? Uh, no, I did not. Um, yeah, that sounds. I love that. That sounds great. Um, that sounds like something that I would have written in my Warhammer novels because I would make it like really grim, dark, and like, oh, this character is so conflicted, and he's such a warrior that he always has to have his armor on, or else he'll die. But, yeah, you can put in a Frankenstein element in there. Like he feels like he's a more robot than machine in like, you know, and he's watching Frankenstein's like huh, right there with you, big guy. <laughs> Iron Man's like, I can't fight you. I have too many apps open and my battery is too low. <laughs> uh, don't, take out my Tim, don't take out my TikTok. I need my TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> now we get back to the X-Mansion Angel is throwing a full on Content of uh, like a shelf And books and everything at the X-Men and he escapes Through the window now the professor Could stop him telepathically We presume but uh, Professor X is sitting in his old 1890s Wheelchair <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> uh, just uh, Looking looking very feeble uh, Telling the X-Men I followed this Entire incident mentally uh, but Angel ignores him when he tries to summon him to come back. He is determined. He doesn't have a plan in mind, except that he wants to go find the evil mutants to join them. That's, <laughs> the that's others, his The others, the other ones. The, uh, he, can, he said the other mutants so many times. Like, he well, doesn't know who they are. <laughs> when you feel like he was throwing some sort of tantrum. Like, he just reminds me of, like, when my kids were, like, four or five, it would just be ridiculous and dramatic and throw books around the house and... Now, can can canonically, the only evil mutants he's met at this point are Magneto and the Vanisher. 
so I don't know. You'd think you'd send them an email or something. You just blow dynamite up in the sky. <laughs> or, I mean, like, but he's rich, though. He would know Wilson Fisk. He wouldn't. The Kingpin? Or the or the Hellfire Club. There's all kinds of options, right? Well, no, no, no. He, was, he, was, he, was, he would have been too young to join uh join the Hellfire Club. Remember, he's 16. <laughs> you can't go the into the club. Sick. Oh wait. You can't get into the club. <laughs> he's, he's too young to even buy cigarettes at the time. <laughs> no, they didn't care. Back in the That's 60s. probably what he does because he's so evil now. He buys cigarettes because he's 16. Uh, you know, that would have been a great little plug. Like, oh, now that Angel's evil, it just went randomly in a panel. He was smoking a cigarette. He smokes. <laughs> oh, did, did you guys notice that Xavier's head in this is like, it seems like put a, a, an extra inch to make him seem like he's bolder. He looks like <laughs> he looks like the leader. He, he literally looks like the leader. He's like, why is no. your head so tall? Now, at the top of page eight, we see Professor X saying out loud, this is my most serious failure. Robbie, do you think, what do you think Professor X's most serious failure is? Oh, God, no. I I, 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 <laughs> I got two. I think, yeah, no, I'm going to pass that straight over. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. Wait, Corey, Corey, you go first. You go first. I get... <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't know. I... All throughout the trial of of Xavier, I had this one one thought. Uh, you know, in, okay, I'm gonna make a long story really short. He's had he maybe has had a lot of failures, but his whole he didn't mind getting in there and getting dirty for the greater good. And even if it made him seem like a bad guy, sometimes you don't want to be the hero, sort of like Punisher style. Like I'm not doing this for myself. I'm just trying to balance some scales, you know. So yeah, that's my take on Charles. <laughs> you know what, Corey? We're good. We 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 understand. <laughs> if I was gonna go Xavier's worst thing, worst failures, one meeting Moira, two picking up the phone when she called. First, <laughs> uh, naturally, that that's just probably big. Two. And um, three, getting with Gabrielle Holler. If he would have just said like, you know what, you're nice, but. No, we're not going to do this because I feel like you're going to have a kid and not tell me about him, and then you're gonna <laughs> my best friend, and they're not going to tell me, and then you're both going to come at me saying it's my fault. I'm like, I don't know you, I don't know your kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, so most of them involve Moira because so Moira plays him. Moira, Moira, she she plays him like a fiddle, and it's like, why do you pick up the phone? Stop picking up the phone. So Xavier realizes they're in over their heads for some reason, even though it's one rogue student and he's, you know, gone after Magneto in a, a, on a missile base prior to this. But he wants them to call the Avengers. Now, this is before Captain America's even frozen out or unfrozen from the ice. So the original Avengers are uh, are the Hulk, uh, Thor, Iron Man, Giant Man, who's also known as Ant-Man and the Wasp. But none of the Avengers are available Corey, do you have the comic in front of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've tell got us, it. So, tell us about the Avengers' private lives here. Well, they've they've got a lot going on. It's nice, you know. The the Avengers are real people as well. Uh, so we've got we've got Bruce, who is at hard at work in a lab, uh, which apparently means that he can't hear the message because he's not in Hulk mode. 
uh, says there's no Hulk at that moment to receive the X-Men's message. Weird. Uh, and then we've got Thor. Well, I had, again, MCU is my connection with a lot of these characters that, uh, that aren't X-Men. I had no idea he was a doctor. Apparently, he's got an alter ego. He's seeing a patient. He's Dr. Donald Blake. <laughs> God, at a, at a municipal hospital, which seems humble and, and uh, honorable. I like it. And uh, Giant Man and the Wasp are just out on a date. You know, they don't get to spend a lot of time together. So they're, the they're out doting on each other at the in this weird club with, with planets on the wall and a weird lab light. And this guy in the background, he's holding a drumstick, but he's definitely not playing the drums. <laughs> We've all been there. Uh, no, you know what? This this Thor one, this Donald Blake one, really makes me laugh because, like, you guys see it as oh, he's he's helping, he's making the rounds. It looks like he's late. He's saying like, hey, um, hey, Betty. So <laughs> when you get out of here, you wanna <laughs> wanna go out for a drink? <laughs> 60s 60s thor if you want to treat 60s thor and 60s loki are some of the best things ever made it's uh it's it's absolutely amazing uh we we get to go back to uh to iron man's plant uh see some funny interactions between happy and pepper Uh, we won't delve into that too much but the two of them constantly bantering because they like each other but don't it's uh it's really cute and then we get this bizarre image of Iron Man kind of half dressed. <laughs> His helmet's pulled up. He looks like he's wearing a one-piece bathing suit with some bracelets, but his arms and legs are bare. It is the most ridiculous image of Iron Man I can imagine. Uh, any thoughts on this as he gets dressed? Uh, yeah, he looks like the leg warmers aren't stretched out yet. He looks like what? he's gonna pull the leg warmers out of the boots and out of his uh his uh wrist wrist warmers out of his gloves. He's ready for like an 80s like Jane Fonda workout video. Oh <laughs> he was just getting ready to do his roller disco dance hour of power hour exercise. <laughs> hey Jane Fonda, hey, those workout tapes work for Jane Fonda. Look at her, she looks amazing. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> So we go back to Angel, who wants to get the attention of the evil mutants, whoever they are. Uh, and Robbie, how would if you were Angel in this circumstance, how would you get the attention of the evil mutants? Clearly, I would steal a bunch of dynamite and then just start randomly throwing it around. New- uh, no, I'd probably do what you said earlier and send an email, which feels like, you know, considering how direct they've been with Angel just being like, hey, I'm evil now. You'd think it might be something that he would actually do at this stage. But uh but yeah, no, he he doesn't do that, shall we say? He just he finds a random ass box of dynamite and just starts yeah. tossing it all over the place. He's blowing up a boat. He's throwing it in the harbor. He's like, "Where are the evil mutants? Why haven't they noticed me yet?" Must be nice. Must be nice to be rich and white. No, no, no accountability. Like, yeah. If he was black and rich, he go he would have gone to jail for at least two a couple months. <laughs> there does seem to be a certain amount of entitlement with this. Like I'm just gonna blow shit up until people notice me. Uh, the and police they still don't. No, that's true. <laughs> they still don't. The true. the police pull in, and Iron Man convinces them to give him ten minutes to try to win the Angel over, but uh, they it doesn't work. Iron Man and Angel engage in this ridiculous aerial battle. The culminating moment of basically is which Angel grabs Iron Man's boots and flips him upside down, 
which is just amazing. And Fireman's like, oh no, if I turn my boots on, it'll shoot me to the ground because he has no like maneuvering or, or like there's no steering wheel in this thing, apparently. Uh, what did you guys think of this uh, this ridiculous fight between the two of them? There's a reason I really liked how it was drawn. drawn. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> there, there's a reason why, why Iron Man doesn't bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> very embarrassing uh, i like the this whole the whole aerial battle like the different poses they're in over the whole series of panels i really like uh he's got the same sort of flying posture as the sentinels did iron man <laughs> so it's fun to see him uh he's he's keeping that leg his toes pointed no matter what direction everything else is facing <laughs> it's great and uh yeah it's just the way that they drew like the wishes and the the all the directional stuff with the aerial combat, I thought looked really cool yeah. on the page. It, it makes me wonder how much the writer directs the choreography, if that makes sense, and how much they just leave it to the artists. It would be interesting. Um, I guess it's sort of down to the personal or how like the working relationship is, but, but yeah, it definitely must be a lot of fun to, to draw aerial fights, if that makes sense, because you know, it's so dynamic and you can get so much out of it. It's, it almost seems like there's too many options. Like I, yeah. there's just, it's, I have the entirety of space to work with. What the hell am I gonna do? I think I think they use the old Marvel method here, which is Stanley would say basically say something like, "Make sure Iron Man and Angel are fighting for three pages," and then Jack Kirby <laughs> would come in and draw it, and then Stanley would come back and add the words later. Uh, so, so the the old Marvel style, which some writers still use, uh, that's pretty uh, gangster. Like. Make it look like this, and then I'll come in, and I'm on a ride. That's cool. Yeah, the, the <laughs> most the most ridiculous thing, and I really laughed out loud. I hadn't read this issue since I was like 15. Uh, Angel tries to fly through a door. Iron Man tosses some magnets to close the door so Angel can't open it, and then Angel literally just flies through the next door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, "This hangar has more than one door, bitch. I'm getting out of here." No, like, no. <laughs> you can't buy me, Tony. <laughs> uh then angel flies to the top of a water tower and his his thought bubble as he just stands there which is so pathetic is literally what's keeping the evil mutants why don't they join me uh <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i feel like as a 16 year old i would think that as well oh <laughs> it's so sad it's true. that's like wait a second i'm here i decided this is what i want why isn't it happening why is the world against me <laughs> Why does the world do what I want? It's almost as if I don't have privilege. It's like a it's like a mom sends a kid to a park and is like, go make some friends. And he sits at the park, doesn't talk to anybody, and is like, where are my friends? Nobody's showing up here. It's uh it, it's just so pathetic somehow. Uh <laughs> Iron Man then gets Angel up into the air. He he just grabs him, flies up, and then he has the plan uh to let himself fall although i'm not confident he let himself i think his battery ran out and he's like i'm gonna see if i if i crash into the ground i'm betting the angel will snap out of it and fly down to save me which of course is what actually happens although we get like two full very dramatic pages of iron man oh falling so well, dramatic Oh, well, Angel's like, it's not my fault. I didn't ask him to try to battle me. All I have to do is close my eyes and wait another few seconds. It'll be all be it'll be over for him forever. No, I can't. I can't. Uh, his Archangel personality has diminished. <laughs> Heroic Angel has returned. Uh, what did you guys think of this? Uh, this interaction of Angel snapping out of it? 
Okay, so when when Iron Man was falling, just like you said, that was that was very intense. Like Tony, he's just sitting here thinking, like, oh shit. <laughs> bye, Pepper. Bye, Happy. This is the end. I guess my plan didn't work. But I love it. It's also seems like very classic Tony. Like I'm gonna fucking bet every bet the farm on everything and hope that it works out for the best. <laughs> I, I, I liked know. it. I appreciate it a lot. I don't know. This reminds me of a. Uh of like a golden eagle that would just pick up something right in the air and then just drop it. And then if it was, if it's still alive, it's, it's how a golden eagle um, hunts, but. Well, and if they scare their, they scare their prey with the drop or something. Right. Like yeah. Yeah. And then like they, and then they uh, drop, they land on the ground and then if they're still alive, the eagle just breaks. <laughs> so pack up, put them in the air and just drop them for that highlight. That is maybe. Maybe Angel isn't really um, has a dark passenger. Maybe that's he's just part bird. Ah, it's just <laughs> sort of primal instinct. It comes with yeah. the wings. Yep. Yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, that's why he always he moves to the south end of the mansion every winter for some reason. <laughs> when he got with Psylocke, it didn't make any kind of sense. <laughs> like, really, Robbie? You? How would how would you have resolved this fight as a writer? Ooh. Um. I mean, I kind of feel like you can see where it's going, you know, towards the end. Like, you kind of expect that to happen almost. But I respect how Stanley, like, pushed it, pushed it to its limits in terms of, like, you know, the, the suspense and the drama of it. Like, yeah, he, that, was, that, was, that was good. Um, I, I don't know. I think clearly they need a good nuke bomb to go off and turn Angel... <laughs> into a good guy again. Ah. That would be an even more cliched outcome, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so that another, would another that would nuclear explosion to knock you back. Like it. Exactly. If, Stan, if Stanley was a bad writer, that's what would have happened. So <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man sets off one more nuke. I love it. That makes me yep. uh when they get back to, when they get back to Earth, the uh the police are still there and iron man throws himself under the bus he's like you guys it's not angel's fault it's that jackass tony stark that did this even though he is Dude, tony stark such a cool move <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like i'm untouchable it doesn't matter i'm a rich white dude i own everything and then uh and then the x-men run in to to greet angel gene says you're normal again i'm so happy i could cry because you know that's what the girl's gonna do uh professor x says so I did not so I did not fail. My X-Men training program is successful. He was ready. I am to, awesome. He was ready to call it quits. If Angel was evil, I'm done. The whole thing shut down. There is no more X-Men. <laughs> no more go off of this. We would have had nothing off of this. Oh, okay. This is weird. Yeah, that's just weird. <laughs> so close. So, so far. And then uh, <laughs> this is the X-Men's first meeting with Iron Man, which is kind of astounding in its own way. Not that they have a lot to do with each other. Uh, Professor X immediately sends out a mental summons. The second things are solved, he's like, get back here, bitches. Like, you have to get back to class. I will not tolerate anything less than perfection. Uh, so we're back to, like, jerky, bossy Professor X. Uh, but uh, but they, they return home promising Iron Man a favor sometime. I wonder if he ever cashed in. I wonder if he ever well, called the X-Men and said, hey, remember that time I set off a nuclear bomb and accidentally turned into <laughs> Now <laughs> I need to the deal was like no one ever gets to tell any of the other Avengers that he got beat by a 16 year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> With feathered wings. 
<laughs> like you might as well just say you got beat up by Squirrel Girl. Oh, Squirrel Girl's kick ass, man. <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard to be uh to take someone seriously who's afraid of dogs. I like, love her so much. She's my favorite. Uh uh Robbie, did you have like a favorite moment in this issue that just made you laugh or or filled with joy? Uh I think like just when he goes near the start to the rest of the X-Men and just says, I'm I'm bad guy now, guys. Uh, I'm gonna go. I gotta go. This place is lame because now I'm evil. And like, <laughs> what do you see my leather jacket? <laughs> yeah, it's just so on the nose. And also his rampage where he tries to get attention by blowing like totally genuinely random stuff up. It's just yeah, like amazing. Um, yeah, he's committing acts of terrorism to get attention. <laughs> yeah, but like Michael Colum Kittenhouse, uh, uh, Rithouse. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the fact that it doesn't even pay off, like even remotely. I wonder if there's like I can imagine there's a cutscene where the Brotherhood of Evil are like actually watching him, and they're like, nah. nah. <laughs> like you eating soup, like what's this guy doing? <laughs> Here's nah, an available mutant. We don't want him. <laughs> Wait, uh, no, 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 watch. It'll be like one of them. It'll be like Toad or something. Like, like, hey, do, hey, do, uh, hey, we're gonna get uh Angel wants to join the join up with us. Let's go. And uh so like no, 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 he changed his mind. No, he's he's fine. Yeah. Either that or mastermind and toad are like, you know, we're trying to flirt with the Scarlet Witch. We can't have one more guy trying to flirt with the girl on the team. <laughs> and then he was like, We can use his money, he can fund us. <laughs> Oh, you guys, what an absolute pleasure to just nerd out over this old issue. Now, in, in the stream of continuity that we've been covering, this one's less consequential, but it just is ridiculous 60s amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad we took some time uh, to go there. Uh, it's an unforgettable issue when you take time to just sit back and enjoy it. Uh, uh, let me hear from each of you. Where can people find you online? Uh, and then anything, and Robbie, you kind of answered this question before, but, uh, but, but for Corey and Derek, anything people should be looking out for? What do you have coming up? Uh, um, and if you want to pass on this question, that's okay uh, as well. Uh, Robbie, would you like to go first? Where, where can people find you? Yeah, sure. Um, so my Twitter handle is just my name. So it's just Robin McNiven or at Robin McNiven. Um, got a Facebook page, same thing. Um, various other things like WordPress. But again, it, it's pretty simple. If you search my name, you'll find me on probably most platforms you want, except the more modern ones, because I'm starting to become a bit of an old guy now. I don't have Instagram. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. Most, most things apart from that. Yeah, I'm out there. And then everybody, please pick up Robbie's book, First Team. Uh, give it a rating online. I, I'm looking forward to checking out your other books, but First Team really was uh, a breathtaking, incredible, incredible novel. I really loved it. Thank you. Thank you. That does mean a lot. Uh, uh, Derek, where can people find you? Oh, um, you can find me on YouTube, 1407 Gray Malkin. I do uh, I do reviews every week uh, with with my new uh, cohorts, the AKPC, the Anti Kitty Pride Club. Supposedly, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, late, but in a couple. In a, all right, announcing this. I think Chad. I think you heard about this. I have um. Scott Lobdale coming in. Uh, uh, do, I'm going to do an interview with Scott Lobdale next Friday. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. So I'm uh, so come, it'll be up it. on the second. Man, I'm so excited. <laughs> so excited to hear it, man. Uh, and then, Corey, where can people find you? Uh, well, you know, you can find me in St. Louis rolling on dubs. Um, <laughs> no. Ah, uh, uh, yes. 
No, I uh, I consume entertainment. I don't make it, uh, so I'm not. A, I don't have a public personality. Sure. Uh, but you are very entertaining. <laughs> oh, no way. Rolling and then, the and then you guys can find uh, you guys can find Gray Malkin podcast uh, on Twitter under Gray Malkin P P like podcast or uh, on Instagram. We're posting content from these issues regularly. We have a lot of really great stuff coming up. Uh, and I I am sitting back regularly thinking about how fortunate I am to be able to correspond with fellow nerds and creatives, but also to sit down and interview professionals. So thank you to Derek and Corey for spending your afternoon with me. And Robbie, thank you, thank you for uh, for spending some time uh, talking about your works and nerding out over old comics with us. Uh, before we wrap up, let me get your just initial impressions of the cover of X-Men number 30, which we'll be covering in our next episode. We have uh, the X-Men fighting uh, the Warlock. Uh, <laughs> what are some of your thoughts on this cover? Doctor Strange, awesome. I knew it. Yeah, that cape is nice. That yeah, like it is. That's really cool. <laughs> so this is what That's happens when you so far. So this is what happens when you wake up Doctor Strange before he has his coffee. Like <laughs> all this happens. I'll destroy the multiverse. Next, where's my Kava? Where's my Java? Next week on Gray Malkin Lane, we have the incredible artist Adam Gorham. We will celebrate his art and then discuss the issue X Men number thirty called "The Warlock Wakes." It's a problematic issue at best. It's a little rapey. We're gonna have some discussions about filler issues and the portrayal of women in comic books, but it's still a lot of fun. We hope to see you back next time. Corey, Derek, Robbie, thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us. What an absolute honor, uh, especially Robbie with sitting down and, and sharing. So thank you so much. Uh, any final words from you guys before we wrap up? Tony Stark was it, was, it was fun actually being a part of one of these, uh, one of these something with another Marvel professional. I've listened to all of them. And it's always really awesome whenever I get to hear these conversations, but actually being a part of the conversation of someone that's, uh, now I know Chad, you've written for Marvel as well, but uh, just being able to talk to Robbie and hear his thoughts uh, as as an author were really cool. I liked it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a real honor to be able to come on the show as well. I mean, it's it's literally you get to sit down for an hour and a half and just have fun and just you know chat about chat about the cool stuff. So uh, yeah, no, I really really enjoyed it. Uh, it's really great that you could have had you been on the show. Thanks for being here. Always fun. Always fun to be here. Okay, you guys. Well, hey, happy holidays. Uh, we're recording this just before Christmas. I hope you have the best uh, holiday season with your family. Uh, stay warm, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you guys back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.